Good morning. Um, so excited to be here with you guys today. The birds are excited to be here. I hear them this morning. It's awesome. If you haven't noticed, there's birds that live like right in that corner. Um, and some mornings they're just happier than others, I guess, and we can really hear them. But it might be one of those mornings. So if you, you know, something to listen for, I guess. Um, but uh, in just a second, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray again. But before we do that, I just want to say, man, it's been an awesome week. Um, it's been a tiring week, more so for some of you than others. Some people are teachers, and they don't have to wake up and go to work right now. And those lazy bums, they're not maybe as tired as you guys are. But, uh, man, I know for some of you, like, it's funny. Like, Sunday, we come in, and we're pumped. And then Monday, we're pumped. And Tuesday, we're pumped. And Wednesday, you know, like, we're getting there. <laughs> And it feels like maybe the longest week in the world for some of you guys, but it's so worth it. Um, it's so worth it. And uh, I believe in Bible school. I met Jesus there uh, at 11 years old. And, uh, man, this year we had lots of kids asking questions and just trying to figure out, like, who is this God and what does that mean for me? And uh, I love it. And I love, um, I love getting to be part of that. Um, so I just want to say thank you, like if you did anything or <laughs> everything, maybe some of you guys, if you did, if you did anything, um, just thank you. I know that for some of you guys, it doesn't even start the week of Bible school, like you come in the whole week before and you make it look like Bible school. So last Sunday, it looked amazing in here and we had like a space tunnel and all that. And then that just comes down in like an hour after that. So you put it up in a week and it comes down in an hour and <laughs> Man, I just, that's amazing to me, uh, but I just love being part of that, and, and I just want to say thank you, uh, everybody who had anything to do with that. So maybe we just can clap for those people this morning, whoever they are. Uh, uh, and um, man, so good, uh, so good. But this morning, we're going to be in, in Mark, and we're going to be um, back, and look, I'm looking forward, it's amazing, um, it's here. Why did I lose it? Oh, there we go. Mark 10. There we go. Couldn't find it. It's at the very bottom of my page. Uh, we're going to be in Mark 10 this morning. And uh, we started a series last week, and um, it's called Anything. And if you've seen the graphic, it's got like a little question mark after that. And um, it's a series really where we're going to talk about prayer. And as I was praying, God, what do you want for this morning? Um, this is the story that he wanted, which is kind of different because it's not really a story about prayer. So as you can imagine, what that did is for the next couple hours, it sent me into this like wrestling match with God where it was like, but that's not a prayer thing. And the series is a prayer thing, God. And you know, and you told me to do the series and that's not the one. So give me a different one. And God always wins those wrestling matches. And here we are in Mark 10. And uh, we're not going to do a, or a story about prayer today, but we're still talking uh, very much about prayer. And I think it's weird anytime we talk in the church about prayer because for so many of us, we grew up in church, we've been around forever, and we've been to more church services, gatherings, whatever you want to call them, um, than, than you could even count. And for a lot of us, we know like how to pray. And by how to pray, I mean we can form some words together, and at the end of that, it'd be recognizable as somebody just prayed. Not that it's like an effective prayer or you feel like it gets anywhere, just I know how to do church and I know how to pray, so we don't need to talk about prayer. But what's weird about that is Jesus spends a lot of time talking about prayer and Jesus spends a lot of time praying. And I think for most of us, we would even agree like prayer is important, um, that it's something we should do. Like, and, and for a lot of us, we would even say that prayer is a powerful thing, that, that there's power in prayer but I think for most of us, and I'm including me in this, um, we don't pray like prayer is a powerful thing. Right? Amen. I can see, I can see farther tonight. So I know like, there's more rows than there was in Bible school. But um, I need to hear you on that. We don't really pray like prayer is a powerful thing. And you're like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, most of our prayers, if you just think about when you pray, for something like this, um, God blesses food to our bodies, whatever that means, right? Like in, if you need to pray that prayer over your food, you need to eat somewhere else. If it's that bad, right? Like <laughs> let this not kill me, God, right? Like if it's that bad, just go to a different restaurant. Um, I don't even know what that means, but we pray that. 
Because we've heard that. So then we just do that more. And I'm guilty. I do that. I use different words, but I mean, I do that. But that's not a powerful prayer, is it? That's not a prayer that there's even belief in there's power in prayer. And then for a lot of us, we pray like before we go to bed or maybe in the morning, like, hey, God, thanks for waking me up. But for most of us, we were pretty sure we were going to get up. And then maybe before we go to bed, we're like, hey, God, just keep me alive tonight. And unless, you know, something weird's happening at your house, it's probably going to happen for most of us the next day. And I wouldn't classify those things as powerful prayers or even really a prayer that says there's power in prayer. And then what you see in the Bible is Jesus talking about prayer, and he says things like this, and it's just crazy stuff. He says, anything you ask in my name, you'll receive. Actually, in James, and I've quoted this a few times this week, it says, you have not because you ask not. Not you have not because God can't do or God's not sure about it or God doesn't care, but you just, you never, you never ask, so you don't have. And you see, like, that's not just a sporadic occurrence in the Bible, but that, that's over and over and over and over. It even says, I think, in Ephesians that, that our God's the God who's able to do abundantly more than anything we could ask or imagine. But our prayers are, God, let this food not kill me and wake me up the next day. So I think there's a disconnect here because we believe that there's power in prayer, but we don't pray like there's power in prayer. And that's what we've been going to talk about maybe the next few weeks. And this morning we're going to do that in in Mark 10. And and you'll see kind of why it's a weird story for that in just a second. But, you know, by God's grace, we're going to get there. Uh, We're going to be in Mark again this week. And uh, Mark, I love the Gospel of Mark because it's the abbreviated Gospel. So if you don't like to read, like this is the one for you. It's just a couple chapters, like half of all the other Gospels. But the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel from Mark's point of view is the story or narrative story of Jesus' life just told in a couple chapters. Obviously, everything Jesus did is not in this book. Like we didn't moment by moment, like then he moved his arm to the table. Like that's not there because we'd have a whole lot more stuff. Um, but, but this is Mark's point of view on the story of Jesus' life. And, and what I love about that is Mark is not a disciple. He wasn't like a guy that was there every moment of Jesus's life. Actually, Mark comes uh, kind of second generation of, of the gospel. Um, he, was a, he was a follower of Jesus, but he was a guy who was trained by a man named Peter. That's pretty cool to me. It may not say like Peter 10 at the top, but I want you to know today what you're getting is, is the perspective of Peter through stories he told to Mark. You're like, why is that important to me? Because it, we, we've been fed this lie that all these books are like written hundreds of years after the death of Jesus. And, and we think that because of that, people have come in and they've like changed things and exaggerated things. But that, that's not true. Like all of these books are either eyewitness accounts, Matthew and, and John, guys who were actually there. Or they're, they're second-generation records that are taken from eyewitness accounts. These weren't written hundreds of years after the death of Jesus, maybe 20, 30 years tops after the death of Jesus. And, and this is the story uh, written by the hand of Mark, but through the mouth of Peter. You know, the guy who walked on water and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, a guy who was actually there for these things. And, and I love that. Because there's so much uh, certainty in that. If this book was written four or five hundred years later, man, maybe we've messed something up. But just one generation later, these are the words of Peter, a guy who stood there. And there's so much credibility in that. And in this story, Mark 10, um, that we're going to talk about today, Peter would have been there. He would have seen. And it starts, and maybe most of you have heard this story. I've taught it a few times. It's a story of a rich, young ruler It starts out chapter 10, Jesus is in a city in Judea and he's teaching. It even says in the the text like he normally does. We see Jesus teaching a lot. Anytime Jesus rolls up into a city, there's people that like surround him, mob him, and then he teaches because they're there to see Jesus. They show up because Jesus is always healing people. Isn't that amazing? Like not just like 
they had a cold, but like these people have never walked before. And Jesus just looks at them. He says, get up and take up your bed. And they're like, man, I never thought of that. And they just stand right up. They don't need a doctor. They don't need medicine. Roll up the bed and just take off out the door. Or, or maybe people that have never seen before, Jesus just opens their eyes. It's crazy to me, but it's real. And it really happened. And, and these people are coming because they've heard these stories, maybe even seen it before, about how Jesus does these things. Jesus took just a few fish and multiplied them and fed like thousands of people. They've heard those stories. They've seen these things maybe. So Jesus shows up into town and they come to hear him teach and they come to watch him do things. And this moment Jesus rolls up into this town in Judea and, and people come around and he begins to teach. Teaches on a couple different things. He interacts with some Pharisees, and it says in about verse 13, he even blessed some children. And, and, and this has taken a while. This is the, the short version of maybe what Jesus even talked about that day. And as the day draws to a close, Jesus is about to leave the city, and that's kind of where we start the story today. And in verse 17, it says, As he, capitalized meaning Jesus, was setting out on a journey, he was leaving this town in Judea, he was going somewhere else, it says, A man ran up to him, and he knelt down before him. This man, we don't get much about in this moment, but we'll find out later some more details. This man is a man who has some wealth. He's a, he's a younger guy. He's the rich young ruler, if you didn't get that from the, the, the title. I don't know what he rules, but he's rich, and maybe it just sounded cool together. I don't know, but he was a rich guy. He had some money, had some status in the town, and he's been standing there probably all day watching Jesus teach. He probably came when the rest of the crowd did, and he's seen these things, and he's seen Jesus teach, and he's seen how he interacted with these people, and he's, and he's seen maybe even how he blessed these children. And now Jesus is closing his message. He's getting up and he's about to leave. And maybe this guy's about to ask a question. Maybe this is a question he's been wanting to ask all day, but he's just not had the moment, the opportunity to do that. And he sees this window is drawing to a close. Jesus is leaving. He's setting out on a journey. So he's not just like walking upstairs and going to sleep and come back out the next day. He's leaving the town. And here this guy runs up to Jesus and he kneels down before him. Now, I don't know like how a running kneel would work, but I imagine it kind of as a baseball slide. He's throwing himself in the path of Jesus because he wants to ask this question. There's some urgency here in these moments. And it says, he asked him, let me get the light, um, good teacher. It's a sign of respect. He's saying, Rabbi, good teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life? He asked Jesus this question. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What, what do I have to do to live forever in eternity? Now, that's a, that's a really good question. Everybody agree today, maybe that's an important question. Like if we, if we believe there is an eternity, maybe you're not there yet, but if you believe there is an eternity and there's a possibility that you could live forever in this eternity, that you don't just stop existing, you don't just go in a hole, you don't just like quit and everything's done, but like if there really is an eternity, if there's something past the next 60 years or 80 years or whatever it is for you, if there's something past that, how do I get into that? That's the question this guy's asking. It's a really good question. There's, there's no problem, actually, with the question, except for what this guy's looking for is he's looking for a really easy answer. He's looking for, like, a checklist. He's looking for a do this thing, do this thing, do this thing, do this thing, and then you're good. He's looking for a come down and say the sinner's prayer kind of thing. So Jesus begins to answer the question, and he says, well, say the sinner's prayer. I'm just kidding. That's not in there. I don't... I don't know if it's, yeah, it's back here. It's not there, right? Can I just kind of throw in there, if there was such a thing as the sinner's prayer that was in the Bible, this would be a really good place to put that, right? Come down here and just kneel down and wait till the altar call I was getting there and then come down and just, and, uh, you know, whatever, and then just get up and you're good. Like if that was the formula, this would be a really good place to put that, right? Or if there was a checklist even, like this would be a really good place to put that. Oh, well, that's easy. You just say a prayer and then you go to church and then you help people and you, and you be a good person and you try to be moral and you just put a little money in that bowl every once in a while. Like if there was a checklist, this would be a good place to put a checklist. But Jesus doesn't do any of those things, does he? This guy comes up and he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? That's a, that's a great question. 
And then Jesus begins to answer the question, and he he says in 18, why do you call me good? Does it seem like Jesus maybe just missed the conversation or the moment here? Like this guy's ready. He's ready for the altar call. He's ready for the sinner's prayer. Like this is the moment he's asking you how to get saved, and you're missing it, Jesus. Can't believe you missed it again. Like if you were the disciples, you'd be disgruntled right now if you were a disciple that grew up in church around us because you're like, man, this is the moment. This guy's ready. He's ready to be saved. He's ready to, he's ready to come down and, and join the church. Like this is the moment, right? And it seems like Jesus just totally misses it because it doesn't seem like he's answering his question, but he's actually answering his question with a question. He says, why do you call me good? Let's, before we get to this... Let's focus on the front part because the front part's going to answer the back part. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. And he says, No one is good but one, and that one is God. Why do you call me good? Now, you could make an argument here that Jesus is saying, Do you get it? Do you see me? Like, is that why you're coming to ask? Because you've realized who you're talking to today? Do you know that I am God? Have you, have you had some revelation that, that shows you no one's good but God, just one. One person's good, and it's God. Like, maybe Jesus is doing that. I don't think that's what he's doing, but maybe he's doing that. Or maybe he's making a point to this man that to get into heaven, to get eternal life, you have to be good And no one's good, but one, and that one is God. You ever ask somebody, probably not, because this is not common for any of us, but when you die, what's going to happen? Where are you going? When, When you leave this place, where are you going? And they come back with heaven, and then you say, why? And they say, well, I try to be a good person. I try to be moral. I try to live a good life. Can I, can I just say to you today, if that's the answer, that person's not going to heaven. And you're like, how do you know that? Well, because Jesus says nobody's good but one, and that one is God. You, you want to get to heaven. You want to live Eternally, Jesus says, let me just start with this. What's your definition of good? Because only good is getting to heaven, and there's only one who's good, and that's God. And here's the back end of that story. You ain't him. Can I I just maybe burst your bubble today and my bubble today? We are not God. You're not God, and I'm not God. And on your own, you'll never get to heaven. And on my own, I'll never get to heaven because I'm not good. And the standard of getting in heaven is good. And I'm not good. And you're not good because I'm not God. And you're not God. That's what Jesus is saying to this guy. You want a checklist today. I could give you the checklist, but let me just, let me just do first thing on the checklist. Are you God? And if you can't check that, you ain't going. To which some of us would say, well, I'm a good person. Maybe you are. Compared to me, or compared to your neighbor, or compared to your teacher, or compared to your spouse, or whatever. Maybe you're good compared to them, but the comparison is not to them or to me, it's to God. See, it's not like collective morality that we judge this thing on. It's not like, I'm the, I'm the nicest person in the town. Well, that's sweet, but you're still lost. I'm, I'm the goodest good around here. Well, that's, that's great because we're not judging it by around here. Here's the standard Jesus is saying. Are you God? And if your answer is not yes, eternal life is not an option on your own. Does that make sense? I just want to make sure we're all in the same place today because we're building a foundation that matters here in just a moment. If you're not God, on your own, you are not good. And you will never, ever, 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 ever make it into heaven. I've heard people say, I don't believe a good God would send good people to hell. 
And I totally agree. The issue is not a good God sending good people to hell. The answer is a good God can't find any good people. So we see, he says, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. And he says, no one is good but one God. Jesus says this and he sees it fly right over this guy's head. So he plays the game. He says, okay, let's, let's just do it your way. You know the commands, Jesus says. Probably. He's in Israel, the most religious place on the planet. He probably knows the commands. So Jesus just starts listing a few. He says, don't murder. Man, right? Like Most of us are probably good on that one. If that's, the, if that's the way in or out today, most of us are probably good on that one. Do not murder. So you can see the guy, like if, you, if you're watching this, he's like, okay, never done that, check. This is the checklist that I was looking for. Do not commit adultery. Maybe that narrows it some for some of us. But not for this guy, check. Never done that. Do not steal. Well, this is a rich guy, so probably it's odds are not done that. But maybe for some of us, that narrowed it some. But this guy, he's still checking the boxes. He says, do not bear false witness. He's never done that. So check. Do not defraud. Not done that. Check. Honor your father and your mother. Got to stay in the inheritance. They're rich, and that's how I'm getting my money. Check, right? Like he's, he's going down this list, and Jesus is giving him uh, six things. And on all six of these things, he's check, 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 check down the list. Now, here's the problem. Jesus stops the list right here, and we know of probably all of us today, or at least you know, like 97% of us today, there are ten commandments that we know about. This is six of the ten. Notice this is all the ones that deal with people. None of these deal with God. These are people around us. But, you know, he's kept all these things. But there's actually 613 commandments found in the first couple books of the Bible. We know of 10, but there's 613, and then they didn't want to break those, so they just built some law around all that stuff. So 613 in the Bible, and then more than that in extra books of the Bible, to the fact where they set it up to where you couldn't even eat like a cheeseburger. Because they interpreted this command as, well, this is possible, so not possible. Don't do it. And Jesus just picked six of those. And this guy in, in, in verse 20, we see, he says back to Jesus, teacher or rabbi, I've kept all these things from my youth. He's, I've done every one of these things. If that's all it takes, man, I'm good. You can almost hear like the pause. Jesus is listing off the six things and he gets to the end and the guy's like, is that it? Like, is there more? Because I... I mean, I'm feeling pretty good right now. Like, maybe I am God. Like, <laughs> I've not done any of these things. And he gets to the sixth one, and Jesus doesn't say anything else. And he's like, teacher, I've, I've, I've done all these. All six of these commands, I've done every one. It's from my youth. I've not broken any of these. some confidence. Can I, can I just say today, like, I realize why everybody wants a checklist. Because on a checklist, we can feel really good about ourselves. We can actually convince ourselves that we're good because, well, we've not killed anybody. Must be a great moral person. And what we do on our checklist is kind of what Jesus has done in this. We, we pick the couple things, the handful of things that we're really good at, and we're like, man, I, I did that, and I did that, and I did that, and I did that. Man, I'm awesome. And we feel good. That, that's a religion, actually. Religion will allow you to feel good about your badness. What's the Bible say about our heart? Our heart is deceptively wicked. We want to feel good about being good, but the problem is we're not good. And he gets to the end of this list, and that guy's like, man, I've done every one of these things. That's awesome. I'm out of here. And then it says in 21, then, 
Man, that guy probably wishes this story ended at verse 20. In 21, it says, Then, looking at him, Jesus loved him. Looking at him, Jesus loved him. Now, this is the gospel for most of us. This is the gospel for most of us, but most of us have the gospel wrong. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there. Because it's easy to see why Jesus would love this guy. Isn't it? He kept all the commands. He's done all the things. And, and he's, he's made a pretty good list here. And we look at that and we're like, if we be good, then Jesus loves us. If we follow Jesus, Jesus will love us. If we do the right thing, then Jesus will care about us. And he'll love us and he'll applaud us. And that's how you get the well done. You just got to do these things. And if you do these things, then Jesus will do his thing and he'll love us. And that's what we think is the gospel. But the problem is it doesn't stop there, does it? It says, then, looking at him, Jesus loved him. Am I buzzing? Is that what it is? Did that kill it? Thanks. Okay. This is going to be awkward. I don't talk into a mic. Can I get the handheld? I'll be the rapping youth pastor for a few minutes. It's better than standing here in one spot. But it says, then, looking at him, Jesus loved him. But here's how he loved him. It says, he said to him or he spoke to him he didn't love him because he'd done all the right things he's loving him through what he's about to say thank you sir and he looks at him oh there we go that's why, you, that's why you pay people the big bucks for that. Can you turn the reverb down on that a little bit? Um, it says, then looking at him, Jesus loved him. And here's how he loved him. He says to him, you lack one thing. Here's how Jesus loves him. He looks at him and he says, you're lacking something. You're missing something. There's, there's a piece here that, that's, that's a little bit off. And you can look at that like I've looked at that before, and you're like, well, that's not very, very loving. It's not very loving for him to tell him that he's missing something. But actually, this is the most loving thing that Jesus can do. See, because he runs the risk of believing that he's good and getting to the end, wasting his entire life, and then ending up separated from God forever. But Jesus loves him too much to allow that to happen. So in that moment, Jesus speaks to him and he says, I just want you to know you're not good. We only did six commands and there's like, you know, what, 607 more. You're, you're not good. I'm playing the game. I listed six things. You feel great. I'm teaching you how religion works. But I'm going to just tell you that that's not everything that it requires. See, you're, you're still not God. And he says, here's what you're lacking. You lack one thing. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Go sell everything you got and, and give it to the poor. Now, this is the rich young ruler, right? This guy has a lot of wealth. He's got a lot of stuff. And here Jesus is inviting him to sell that stuff and then to give it to the poor, whoever that is. He doesn't like give specific charities or anything. And he says... This, you will have treasure in heaven. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And listen, you will have treasure in heaven. Now, what, did the, what, did, what was the first question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? How am I going to get to heaven? And then here Jesus gives this guy a guarantee. This will get you to heaven. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And, and here's the thing. You'll have treasure in heaven. What's coming will be greater than what you have. Get your eyes off the temporary and look into the eternal. Jesus is calling this guy out of the less and into the more because Jesus always calls us out of the less and into the more. The problem is this guy's about to show us he can't see past the less to see the more. Because Jesus here in this moment answers the guy's question. You want to get to heaven, I'll guarantee you a spot in heaven. And when you get there, you're going to have treasure. But here's what's not getting him to heaven. 
go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Because what is that? That's just another thing on the checklist. It's just another deed. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Don't worry about it. You'll have treasure in heaven. Here's how you're getting there. Come follow me. Come follow me. This is the same invitation given to Every disciple, right, walk up to the boat, come follow me. Walk into the tax collector office, come follow me. This guy could have been number 13. But the problem is, and here's what Jesus was getting to, you love your stuff more than you'll ever love me. And if you keep your stuff, you'll never trust me and you'll never follow me. It's, it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil, if you read it. And this guy loved his stuff. We, we don't know his name. We don't know his hobbies. We don't know how he made his money, but we know he had a lot of it because that's what defined this man. And Jesus is saying to this man, come be defined by something else. See, the truth of it is, for a lot of us, maybe money is not the thing keeping us from following Jesus. It's just something else. But what Jesus is saying here is is the same. Leave it. Get rid of it. And come follow me. Because I'm trying to call you out of less and into more. The question is a a great question. It's a question everybody should ask themselves. If there is an eternity, how do I exist in that eternity? Well, here's the truth of the word of God. There is an eternity. And we're going to go into eternity whether we believe it or not. You don't just get to stop existing. That's not how it works. We're going to leave this place, and not only the people that believe, right, but every people will leave this place. And when we leave this place, the Bible's clear. There's two options. We're going to go to heaven to be with God, or we're going to go to hell, and we're going to be separated from God. And some people at this moment would be like, fire and brimstone, hell is hot, here's all the reasons you shouldn't go there. No, the reason you should go to heaven is because God is there, and Jesus died to make a way for that. If you have to scare somebody into heaven, they're probably not really going. The choice has never been heaven or hell. It's been Jesus or no Jesus. And he just grants your wish by letting you be separated for eternity in a place that's not so pleasant. And he looks at this man. And he says, you can have eternal life. You can, you can go to heaven. And when you get there, you can have treasure there. But you got to follow me. And you'll never follow me with this baggage. Because you're always going to run back to that. How are you going to like sleeping outdoors with the Son of God when you got, you know, millions of dollars in the bank account? Are you, are you going to stay with this thing? Are you going to continue What's it, what's it say in the Bible? The kingdom of heaven is like this. There's a guy who collects precious pearls, and he goes, and he finds one pearl that's more valuable than all the rest, so he sells his whole collection to buy this one pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds treasure hidden in a field, and he goes and he sells everything he is to come back and buy the field. See, the truth of it is we either see it as valuable or we don't see it as valuable. And Jesus looks at this guy and he's like, you're never going to see the value in me. You're never going to find the treasure of heaven as long as you're attached to all these treasures. Jesus is inviting this man to treasure him for eternity. And this is what happens. He says in 22, but he was stunned. He was shocked. He was probably a little appalled. I can't believe you would ask me to do that. I can't believe you would ask me to leave that. Because what did he love? Stuff. He says he was stunned at his demand. And he went away grieving because he had many possessions. 
He didn't leave because the demand was too big. He left because he loved his stuff more than he loved the Son of God. The same thing that two weeks from now would cause him to leave or three months from now would cause him to leave or four years from now would cause him to leave. We all have stuff that would cause us to leave and God's calling us to leave that stuff. And then in 23, we see the disciples look at Jesus and they're like, hey, you got to go after him, man. He could do a lot of good. He's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of stuff. I'm just kidding. It's not what happens. Jesus actually lets this guy walk away. Why? Because he loves this guy. He didn't quit loving him, right? He loves this guy, and he loves him enough to let him make his own choice and to respect that decision. But what he doesn't is he, he loves this guy too much to let him um, pretend to follow Jesus for the next 60 years and then die and spend eternity without him. Because here's the truth. Today is heaven for those of us that don't know Jesus. It never gets any better than this. And Jesus will let us live in heaven here or there. So Jesus lets this guy walk away. You're like, I don't think that's loving. Well, man, wouldn't it be a shame if he was like, okay, well, let's, let's do the list. Let's go to church and let's do these things and let's try to be good and let's just to be fooled into thinking he was going to heaven to not really be. See, because the truth of it is, like, there's nothing this guy's got that's going to get him into heaven. Jesus is the only thing and he didn't choose Jesus. So Jesus let him walk away. Jesus is more concerned about our souls than our stuff. He's not trying to keep us around because we have something good to offer. He's trying to keep us around because he has something good to offer. It says in 23, Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, How hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Now, if you have wealth, just hang on. It's not like singling out rich people. In 24, it says, but the disciples were astonished at his words. And then Jesus doubles down and he says to them, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? He's like, let me get it down where you can feel it today. It's not just rich people. They have a hard time coming into the kingdom of God. It's all people that have a hard time coming into the kingdom of God. He says in 25, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God or any person for that matter. Now, can you imagine like a needle? Like there's people are like, oh, it's a little hole in the wall and blah, 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 blah. Okay, maybe. But let's... It's still impossible. Let's just think about it today. If I had a needle up here, you you wouldn't know if you're in the back. You could never see it. I have a needle. Um, If I had a needle up here and then I had a camel up here, which would be awesome. We should work on that. And then I tried to get that camel into that needle. Is that possible? That's what Jesus is saying. It's not possible for you to get into the kingdom of God. Here's why. Because you're not God. And you're not good. It all goes right back to the top of the page. What Jesus is saying to this man and to all men is that we are not God and we are not good. And because we are not God and we are not good, it is impossible for us on our own to get to heaven. Actually, even trying is just making a mess, right? Like trying to shove a camel through a needle. That's not going to turn out pretty and clean. That's going to make a mess everywhere, and it's going to be kind of gross because it's not possible. And you can just imagine, like, that's not going to happen today. You being good enough to get to heaven is not going to happen today or tomorrow or the next 7,000 years if God let you be here that long. You're not going to be good enough. And that's what he's saying. You cannot do it. So they were astonished. And they said to one another, because they got the message here. None of these guys are rich. Then who can be saved? Then, then, Then who can be saved? And look at what Jesus says. With men, 
it is impossible. With men, it's impossible. There's no man that's going to save another man. There's no man that's going to save their self. You cannot do it is what Jesus is saying. You cannot be good enough. You cannot say enough prayers. You cannot come down and repeat after me enough times. You cannot go to church enough times. You cannot pray uh, enough prayers. You cannot sing enough praise songs. You cannot change your lifestyle enough. You cannot be moral enough to make it to heaven on your own. With men, it is impossible is what he's saying. Jesus is saying to them and to you and to this man, you're deficient in that area. You are not good enough in that area. You will never be good enough in that area. Let me point out your limitations today. You cannot save yourself. Nobody in this room is good enough. Nobody outside of this room is good enough. There's one man that got to heaven on his own, and his name was Jesus, and he was God, and he was the one. And nobody else is ever going to do that. That's why he says, follow me, because I know the way, right? Like, you can't get there, but he invites you to follow the same map. He says, come with me. But he looks at us and he just spells out today, you're not enough. You're not going to be good enough. You're not going to get it. You are not going to be able to save yourself. And some of you maybe are like, why do you have to preach that so hard? Because I've grown up in church and I've met a lot of people trying to save their self. And I've heard so many people say, oh, I try to be a moral person. I don't care about your morality. That's not between me and you. It's between you and God. But I know what God says about morality is it is like a it's it's like a it's like a false suit, right? It's like what we do on Sunday mornings where we like put on our fancy clothes to go to church. That's not you. I know that's not you. You know that's not you. You're just not being real with me because we're in a, this place. We do the same thing with our life. Put on good deeds and and all this stuff and our hearts wicked. Our actions are not the problem. Our hearts are the problem. And he looks at these guys and he says, you can't save yourself. With men, it's impossible. But look what he says right after that. He says, but not with God. Oh, you can't save yourself. With men, it's impossible. But, man, that's not how it is with God. Because all things are possible with God. That's what he says. Anything is possible with God. All things, in fact, are possible with God. He looks at everybody and he says the same thing. You can't save yourself. But that's not how it is with God. Because all things are possible with God. I love that because right there it shuts down all the, all the people that are kind of in the negative on that, doesn't it? Oh yeah, he can save me, but he or he can save them, but he can't save me. No, 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 no. Man, with men, you, you are correct, but with God, all things are possible. Oh, but you don't know what I've done. But with God, all things are possible. You don't know what I've said, but with God, all things are possible. You don't know how I've lived, but with God, all things are possible. You don't know how far I've walked away, but with God, all things are possible. You don't know me, but with God, all things are possible. All the excuses, they don't matter in the all things are possible area of God. All the but I've done's, they don't matter in the all things are possible area with God. Like anybody and everybody can come to the cross because with men it may be impossible, but with God all things are possible. Maybe you'll never be good enough. Maybe that's true with men, but with God all things are possible. Maybe you'll never get it together. And with men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Anybody has space at the cross because of what God has done, not because what man has done. It's not dependent upon me and you. The cross is free and available today because of what Jesus has done. He says, I'm good, and if you want to get to heaven, you come up after me. You'll never be good enough today to get to heaven because with men it is impossible, but with God all things today are possible. Isn't that good? You're like, what does that have to do with a prayer series? 
Well, some of us today maybe have talked ourselves out of the fact that God will answer that prayer. I got to get my life right first. I got to go do this first. No, you don't have to do anything first. The first has already been done, and it's the cross. And God's saying today, all you got to do is ask. Ask, and you will receive, right? You have not because you ask not, right? Like God is in the saving mood today. What does that have to do with the prayer series? Well, some of you have been praying for people to come to know Jesus, and and you keep telling yourself all the reasons they will never come to know Jesus. But here's the truth today. With Jesus, they can come to know Jesus. We're not waiting on them to get their act together. We're waiting for God to open their eyes. We're not waiting on them to change everything they're doing. We're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come in and to lift the veil and to say, here I am today. Because with men, maybe, maybe it's impossible. Maybe they're never going to escape that addiction with men. Or maybe they're never going to come up out of that sin with man. But with man, it may be impossible. With God, all things are possible. See, the truth of it is, like that's true over every area of our life today. There's so many things we deal with every day that are impossible for us. So many situations we look at and there's like, there is no way it's going to come out for the good. But I want you to know there's a God who's good and he's invested in us today and he loves us today. And with man, maybe that healing is not possible or that salvation is not possible or, or, or that marriage problem, it's not possible. Maybe, maybe with God, maybe with men, it's not possible. With God, everything is possible. That's what he's saying. And we can ask him today for any of those things. We can talk to him today, the God who everything is possible for. We can talk to that God today, and he wants to answer. You with me, church? I I sometimes feel like I'm just talking. I'm up here screaming, looking like a crazy person. But I'm excited about this because it's true. Like, there is a God who says with man, it's impossible. Man, I live in a place of impossibility half the time. I look at my life sometimes, and I'm like, man, I don't know how that's going to work out, or that's going to work out, or that's going to work out, or that's going to work out. And I try to, you know, go through situations and plug things into place, and it just makes a mess. It's like shoving a camel through an eye of a needle. But then God says things like this. It's not about you and your ability, Brad. It's not about you figuring it out or you getting it all together. It's not about any of that. Because with men, the things that are impossible around you, they look big and scary and crazy. But with God, I just want you to know every single thing is opened up today. And it's possible today. What better place to move us to a place of prayer? What better place to move us to a place that says, I don't just pray that God will like wake me up when I'm pretty sure it's going to happen anymore. I'm praying to the God who does miracles today. We, we look at the Bible, and I've heard people say this so many times, why don't we see miracles like we see in the Bible anymore? And they throw up all these things because we're not living this way or we're not. We're not. We're not. You see what the issue is? Because we are so focused on us. We've forgotten to look to the God who everything is possible for. See, it's never really been about us. It's always been in his hands because it's not about our possibility today. It's about his possibility today. And we got to get in a position today that says, God, I believe that everything is possible in you. So I'm going to ask I'm going to pray. I'm going to speak like I I believe you're listening. And I'm going to talk to the God today who says that I'm able to do abundantly more than you could ever ask or think or imagine. I'm going to talk to that guy. I believe that you're the God of miracles. So this morning, I just want to invite you to to pray. Maybe you even have to say, um, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. God, I've got faith, but I, I need you to 
maybe just stoke the fire of it a little bit this morning. Because I've quit praying for this, or I've given up on this, or I've made a mess of this. But God, I believe that your word is true, and I believe you believe what you say. And if you believe what you say, I need to believe what you say. And Jesus, from your mouth today, you've said anything is possible with God. So I want to lean into the place of possibility today, and I want to ask you to work a miracle in in my life. I'm not going to go through like 62 things this morning and try to pray over all those things, but if you need to pray, um, you don't need me for that, actually. You just need you and God. But I do want to say today to any of us who maybe have been living in the gospel of if I'm good, God will love me, that that's not the gospel. Or if I've been living in the place of um, that may be great for them, but it's not possible for me. That God loves you. Just where you are right now. It says in his word that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like at our very worst, God loved us with his very best. And he still loves us today. And you don't have to have anything to offer God today. Because you're not the one offering today. It's him. See, he came down on his own and he lived a perfect life on his own and he died on his own because he wanted to, because he wanted to make a way that you could come to him and I could come to him. And today, if if God's speaking to you and he's saying, hey, you're not good. If that's all you got today, that's step number one of the gospel. You will never come to know Jesus until you first realize that you are not him. We're all sinners. We have all messed up. The Bible says that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. And every one of us have turned to our own way. But I want you to know today that God never once counted you out. And he never once said the cross wouldn't work for you. That today, if if you've figured out that you're not good and God's calling you out of the less of that into the more of him that he died for you to forgive you and all you got to do today is say God I believe I'm a sinner I'm not good I've messed it up and I need a savior and God I believe you're him so God I, I, I want to give you my life I want to follow you. I want to leave all this stuff behind. And I want to step into a relationship with you. I want to know you more. That today God will have you. If he's calling you today, he'll have you.